Good morning, everyone. Oh, let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. We are glad that you are here. And if we haven't had the chance to meet, uh, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont and get to work with some pretty amazing people on the team here that you've already met this morning. And we're going to open up God's word together. We are going to be in Genesis 18 and 19. It's page 12 on those Bibles uh, in the chairs right in front of you. You could go there and join us. I, I got to be honest with you if I can. Am I, am I allowed to be honest with you? Yes. Some of you are, are shaking your heads no. Some of you are looking very worried. Uh, but hopefully I can be honest. As we come into this sermon, I believe that God has something very specific to say to us. But we're going to read an unusually large amount of verses. And my fear is, is that if you're like me, I don't know if you're like me, if you're like me, when someone's reading verses from the stage, it's really easy for me to drift off and wander and it's hard for me to come back. And so maybe you're not like me, maybe you're laser focused uh, and, you're, and you're not like me. My worry is, is that as we read this text that we'll, we'll drift off and not necessarily hear what it is that God has to say to us. So I'm asking you to, to stick with me a little bit this morning because I believe that God has something uh, that he wants to say. Now, before we get to all of, of that, uh, I read recently, I read recently that uh, for parents of toddlers, of which we have, we have one child that I, I think is just about aging out of toddler land, uh, our, our youngest child, but parents of toddlers uh, face up to 200 questions a day right? And I don't know if you've ever met a toddler, but if I'm being honest with you, honesty is a big theme so far this morning. If I'm being honest with you, uh, 200 sounds low to me. Is that, does that sound low? Yeah, that sounds low. In fact, in fact, just toddlers, that's a good point too. In fact, I was, you know, I have three children We have 10, seven and, and three right now. And uh, it doesn't matter how old they get. There's still one question that we get all the time. And it's a question that just has three letters and it comes after any time we ask them to do something, no matter what it is or how necessary it is. Any guess as, as to what that question might be? Why, right? Why? Uh, I've, I've never had so much agreement in the congregation on anything I've asked before. Why? And it's, it's even after things that it shouldn't even be needed. Like, please put your shoes on. We're going to school. Why? Well, it's school. I don't, everyone needs shoes at school. Uh, why do we have to go to school? And it never, it goes on and on. And here's what I've, I've kind of found, though, is we give kids a hard time for that. But I think as we grow up, no matter how old we get, we still want that question answered for us, don't we? Why? Why? In fact, I'm under no illusion. Some of you got up this morning and, and uh, yeah, someone you're with said, hey, we're going to church today. And you thought to yourself, why? Why are we going to church? I just said we're going to read a ton of Bible verses today. And some of you went, oh, why? Why are we going to do that today? Right? It doesn't matter how old we get. We still want those questions. Why is this happening? Why are these things going on? And here's my, here's my question for us this morning. Is it okay? Is it okay for us to take those questions um, to God? And before you say yes too quickly, I want you to think through it a little bit. Because I think many times when we talk about faith, and if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we have talked about 
Um, we've been talking about the origin of our faith, and we've been using the Abraham story, one of the oldest stories in the Bible, uh, but a story that the Bible writers point back to over and over again throughout the text as the example of what faith looks like. So we're going back, we're traveling almost 4,000 years backward in history to talk through the story of Abraham and say to ourselves, okay, what does faith look like? If the Bible upholds this story and these stories as great examples of faith, what do we learn about faith and how can we model our faith after the faith of Abraham. I think so often in church, we are taught over and over that faith is marked by an absence of questions. That if you have faith, then you won't rock the boat by asking questions. And I think this is really hard for some people. Because things happen and we have questions. We read things in the Bible and have questions. And some of our questions are about big world events. Uh, we, we hear about the situation in Ukraine and Russia and we ask why? Why would God let that happen? We hear about even Susanna and her family. And even with all the fruit of the ministry, it's easy to, to think why did her husband have to be abducted for five years ago? And why after five years are there still no answers? We read the Bible and you have questions. Why is it that Jonah could survive in the belly of a fish for three days? How does that all work? And so all of these questions come, and I think we're taught over and over, whether we're, we're, it's, it's specifically from the pulpit or it's just kind of con subconsciously understood one of those unwritten rules about being in church, that if you have faith, uh, you'll, you'll tamper your questions. You won't have questions. And if you're asking questions, it's actually a sign uh, that your faith is lacking. But one of the things we're going to look at in this story with Abraham today, where we are in the text is that there's something about asking questions that, that is important for people of faith. In fact, as we get into the text, we actually were going to see that not asking tough questions might actually be a sign that your faith is shallow or non-existent. So we're going to get into this uh, this morning. And as we get into the text, and we're going to start in chapter 18 and in verse 17. As we get started in the text this morning, I want to kind of tell us exactly where we are. We're just after the, a point where God has once again confirmed his covenant uh, with Abraham. And if you were with us last week, I gave a little bit of a, of a warning at the beginning of the service, uh, just saying that the text brings up things that are challenging. Uh, and, and parents, if your kids hear the message, you, you may have to answer some questions on the car ride home. I'm just going to let you know, uh, same thing here this morning. Uh, so that's, that's, my, that's my quick word on that today, that you might be, be hearing a text that brings up some of those questions. Uh, but as we, as we get into this, after God has confirmed that covenant, God now is going to do something with a couple of cities that we've already met in the text. In fact, in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, we hear about two cities named Sodom and Gomorrah. And maybe even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, those, those cities kind of ring a bell. Like you feel like you've heard about those cities before. When people talk about bad places, they, they say it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's because even in the, earlier in this story, a few chapters ago, we hear that these cities are marked by their evil and marked by their wickedness. These are bad places. And God's going to do something to these cities. 
And now we read in, at the beginning of this section that God is going to clue in Abraham to what he's about to do. And we'll talk about why. But in these first sections of verses, I think we learned something really important here. And I want to give it to you before we read the verses. We learn this, that faith believes God hears and responds to cries of injustice and questions about his justice. That faith believes that God hears and responds to cries of injustice and questions about his justice. Here's what happens. Verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Meaning destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down. It's a key phrase. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Let's pause there for one second as we, as we read through this story. So God's saying, I'm going to clue in Abraham to what I'm about to do for, to Sodom and Gomorrah for two reasons. One reason is because Abraham's the one through whom all the nations will be blessed. But there's a much more practical reason. If you remember a couple of chapters ago, and if you weren't with us, I'll tell you what happened. Abraham has one family member that he's very close to, his nephew named Lot. And at one point, Lot and Abraham went separate ways. And Abraham settled into what eventually would become known as the promised land. And, and Lot goes and he settles near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's coming to Abraham and saying, hey, Abraham, I'm about to destroy these cities. I want you to know because I'm blessing all nations through you. But underneath, unwritten in the lines of the text is, and your nephew Lot and his family lived there. So I'm letting you know. And God says, I hear the cries, the outcry of injustice in this city. And the question is, what is the sin? In fact, the text says very specifically that there is sin there. What is the sin? Now, I grew up in church, uh, as some of you did, and I've always been taught about Sodom and Gomorrah, that it was very one specific sin, that there was sexual immorality in the cities. And to be sure, there is that in the cities. And we're going to see that in just a moment. However, I think it's important that we recognize that the sin that's happening in the city is far more broad than that. In fact, if we were to go later to one of the prophets, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, he says this, the prophet writes, behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and the needy. Here's why I think this is significant before we move on. If you can just keep that verse up there for a second. If I pigeonhole the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah into only something that, is, that represents sexual immorality, it's much easier for me to escape the story. It's much easier to say, well, good thing I'm not like those people. However, if I take the text that the Bible gives me, and I say, yes, there was that sin in those cities. However, the prophet Ezekiel says there was also this sin. They had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not 
aid the poor and the needy. All of a sudden, we're all right in the story. And I think that's important to recognize. Much easier to point the finger at Sodom and Gomorrah and say, I'm glad we're not like them. But when you read a text like this, you have to look into the mirror and say, am I like them? The fact that God goes down to look, we have to remember when we're reading Abraham, there's no Ten Commandments. There's no Bible. There's no written law. He has none of this. Even that creation story isn't yet written down. And so Abraham is learning new things about God, things that separate God from the, from the gods of the people around him, the idols of the people around him. And the fact that God would hear cries of injustice and go down to investigate is hugely significant because the idols of the nations around Abraham would never listen to the cries of injustice and would never go down and take a look. And this is a massive separation that God is making with Abraham here. And I think over the past two years, and even now with the things that are happening in our world, I was so glad Ting not only just prayed for the situation in Ukraine and Russia, which we absolutely should be praying for, but today we also prayed for uh, refugees from Afghanistan. And we, we are praying for uh, Pastor Ko and for, for Susanna and their family. Because even as one situation dominates our headlines, there's still so much happening in our world that needs prayer. And we wonder, does God hear the cries of injustice? And this text reminds us that he does. And eventually he's going to do something about them. The verses say that the way of the Lord is justice and righteousness. Meaning that God just doesn't punish evil. He also works to make things right. Significant that those words go together. It's not just about punishing evil and destroying some cities. It's about doing something that makes things right. And I want you to know this morning, if you are waiting on God to hear the cries of injustice in your life and in the world around you, he hears you and he's watching. And one day he will take action. Anytime God takes action, like destroying cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, there's questions that arise. And Abraham hears this and he has questions. And look what he does. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it from the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five. Of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. Suppose there's 30 found there. 
He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. God hears the cries of injustice and he responds and he hears and responds to questions about his justice. This past week, uh, Pastor Rick invited Dr. Marvin Wilson into our preaching meeting. And Dr. Wilson attends our Burlington campus now. He's been attending just for a relatively short amount of time, but he spent a lot longer time in his life. In fact, he retired just a couple of years from Gordon College up on the North Shore. And for decades, four or five decades, uh, Dr. Wilson taught uh, about the Old Testament. He's written a number of books, and really his books all, all are around the Jewish foundation of the Christian faith. And Dr. Wilson came into our, our meeting and he said, one of the things that he said, and there's a great quote uh, in his book that's called Our Hebraic Heritage. He said, one of the things that really separates Christian faith from the Jewish faith from which we come is that Christians believe that deep faith doesn't rock the boat by asking any questions. But when the acts of God bring up questions, those of the Jewish faith ask deeper questions in order to grow. And when I look back at scripture, hearing him say that comment just the other day, surely the, the psalmist, if you go back and read the Psalms, why do the wicked prosper, the psalmist will say. And the prophets over and over again, whether they're the major prophets or the minor prophets, look at the world and look at God and say, God, where are you in all of this? And I think about Christ hanging on the cross and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then I think about practically how we live out our faith and the times that we've accidentally and subconsciously or maybe even consciously portrayed to people, if you have questions about God, just believe. In fact, if you're asking questions, it's a sign of a lack of belief. When Abraham here, the Jewish writers and the Jewish readers would read this and say to themselves, what faith Abraham has, that he would take his questions and he would go before God and he would present them before God and trust that as he continues to question God, his relationship with God would deepen. I've heard it said that on uh, sports teams or in work teams, that a healthy amount of questioning is a good thing. Because if you have no questioning, it just means that you're surrounded by yes people who will do whatever the leader says, or you're surrounded by people that don't care enough to ask any questions. And I've been thinking about this week. I wonder if that's true for our faith, that if we're not coming to God because we have deep questions, that it means that we just have a shallow faith that accepts things at surface value and isn't really growing, or perhaps it means that we just don't care to ask the questions. And I wonder how many young people 
How many people have grown up in the faith and because they didn't feel like they could ask their deep, deep questions here, went and found answers elsewhere. And so I think we ought to pause and recognize that asking deep questions of God and who he is and what he's doing can be a very strong indication of the deepening of faith, not the lack of it. God hears the cries and responds to cries of injustice. And he hears and responds to questions about his justice. But there's something else. There's something else that we read in this passage, that we realize in this text. And that is that faith believes that God saves guilty people declared innocent by association. Faith believes that God declares, saves guilty people declared innocent by association. Remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? He's living here in Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the next part of this text, which I'm actually, I've, I've just made the decision to summarize it for you rather than read it. So I hope this goes well. What happens in the text is that Lot's living in Sodom and we begin to see that the wickedness of the city, as it would any of us, begins to impact him. Two angels come from the Lord at the beginning of chapter 19. And they come and they find Lot sitting at the gates of Sodom. And as was customary at the time, if you met travelers into your city, you were under obligation to invite them back to your house. And so he says to the two angels, come and stay in my house. And the angels say, no, 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 we'll, we'll sleep in the town square. And this is one of those cultural situations. If, if Lot says, okay, great, sleep in the town square, he's a very rude person. He can't let that happen in this moment. It's like picking up the check at a restaurant, right? That's what this is like. No one will say that, you know, everyone's going back and forth, but, but someone's got to take it, right? And so, and Lot is saying, no, no, come and stay at my house. And he finally convinces these two men that are angels from the Lord to come and stay at his house. Now, while they're at their house, we begin to see the wickedness of the city happen. A group of men come and they start pounding on the door and they say, Lot, we know you have visitors in there and Lot, you're a visitor in our city. So send them out, the text says, so that we might know them. And now that Hebrew word know, which is yada, is the Hebrew word that is used in terms not, of not just knowing someone, but in a sexual context. And really there's the threat of sexual assault here uh, in this passage is what's happening. And Lot says, no. And then Lot does something that is indefensible and awful. And his bid to try and protect these two men. He says to the crowd outside that's pounding on his door, don't take these men who are my visitors, but I have two daughters that have never known a man and you can take them. I want you to know that because the Bible says something does not mean it approves of something. This is a terrible thing that Lot's offering. Lot is being impacted by a city that is wicked and vile. And he's trying to figure out how to protect his household. 
And I think in some ways we have to be careful not to be too harsh on Lot. Some preachers here will go all in on declaring how terrible of a person Lot is. But we do have to be a little bit careful. Lot is living with a lack of revelation as well in who God is. He's learning too who God is. And in a desperate moment where an angry mob is about to break down the door of his house, he's trying to figure out a way to protect his family. But what he offers is terrible. And his solution is not good. By God's grace, it doesn't happen. The angels of the Lord in, in a miraculous way are, are, are able to blind the men that are pounding on the door. And so they're in confusion and they take Lot and they run to his house and they say, who is here? Who's here? Get them all together because God's about to destroy these cities. And Lot has his daughters and he has his wife and his family and his, his, his future son-in-laws are in the house. And he goes to his future son-in-laws and he runs in and he says, two men are here. He says that they're going to destroy the city. We got to get out of here. God's going to destroy the city. And the text says that his son-in-laws uh, think that he's joking. Hard to believe that a future son-in-law wouldn't take his father-in-law seriously, right? <laughs> and so uh, they don't believe him. But the angels say, Lot, we'll get the people who will come and let's go. And so they leave and escape the city. And in verse 23, for our friends who are running the slides upstairs, in verse 23 in chapter 19, here's what happened. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. That's the city that the angels said Lot could escape to. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all of the land of the valley and he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. I'm going to save that last verse for a minute because I just want to recognize this text bring up, brings up questions. What does the text mean? Sulfur and fire from heaven. I don't know. I don't know, but God destroyed the cities. In fact, just last year, uh, there were some archaeologists who were working around the Dead Sea where these um, cities were on the Dead Sea on the southern portion. And on the northern portion of, of the Dead Sea, they found, they found um, evidence of an asteroid strike around 1350 BC. And the headlines started flying around. It was, it was an asteroid that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The problem is that's hundreds of years after this story. But maybe it was something like that. I don't know. But God destroyed the cities. And Lot's wife turned around. They said, the angel said, don't turn around, keep going. But Lot's wife here turns around and the text says that she became a pillar of salt. I don't really know what that means either. Some Hebrew scholars have said that that phrase turn around means she actually went back into the city. Maybe, but we're not hundred percent sure. But it's okay to have questions about the text. It's okay to bring those before the Lord. I'll tell you what we do learn here. And we know for sure it's in verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, 
God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Faith believes God saves guilty people declared innocent by association. Lot's a guilty guy. But it says that when Lot was saved, God remembered Abraham. Because Abraham was the one that went and pleaded, interceded, the, the, the headline in your Bible might say. Abraham went and pleaded with God that God would, would save those who are righteous in the city. And Lot's not righteous under his own, because of himself. But we read that the text says that God remembered Abraham and he remembered those questions. And because Lot was associated with Abraham so closely and Abraham was associated with God so closely, Lot was spared the destruction and his family were spared the destruction of the cities. In the... Uh, early 1990s. I don't know if I was 12 or, or 13 years old, somewhere around there. My family took a trip to Washington, D.C. And we went to Washington, D.C. and we went to visit the Capitol building. And we had a little bit of, a, of an in because my cousin, who's about uh, 10 years older than me, 12 years older than me, my first cousin was the very first congressional aide uh, for a man that you may have heard of named Bernie Sanders. And so Bernie Sanders was a, was a congressman uh, in, the, in, in the house there. And my cousin was his, was his aide. And so when we went into the Capitol, we got to bypass all the lines. And we met my cousin and he had this card. And he said to us, he said, the house isn't in session, which I didn't know what that meant. But my dad was excited about this. Uh, the house isn't in session. Do you want to go on the floor? And so there was all this security around, all these people, all these guards. And my cousin walked up and we were with him and he scanned his card or, or whatever it was back then. I don't know if you were scanning cards in the early 90s, but we were able to walk through the door and we walked down onto the house of the floor. Something I realized today is more significant than I realized at that point. And he said, you want to sit in the chair, the speaker chair? And we were sure we'll sit in the chair. So we went up and, and the chair that you see on TV all the time, the State of the Union, we sat down in those chairs and we were hanging out up, up, on, that, up on that area. And I'll tell you what, we should have got arrested for that. Someone should have stopped us. There was security everywhere. But they didn't. You know why? Because we were associated with my cousin. And my cousin had an association with the Capitol. And because of that, we were good. It's very easy, I think, to remove ourselves from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, especially the way they are often taught in church. Oh yeah, those wicked, terrible places. But friends, there's no way we can look at the gospel and not put ourselves in the midst of the city like Lot. We are in Lot's place. And none of us have, have lived a, a perfect life. None of us do what is right all of the time. But can I tell you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is one who is interceding on your behalf. The same way the, Abraham went to the Lord and interceded on behalf of Lot and the righteous people in the city of Sodom that he had no idea who they, who they were. 
that the text says in the, in the book of Romans that Jesus Christ intercedes on your behalf and my behalf. And so that God saves you and me, not because of who we are, but because we are associated with Jesus Christ, who is associated with the Father. And because of that, even though we are guilty, we are declared innocent in and through Jesus Christ. And if you get nothing out of this message this morning, I want you to know that the path that Lot takes to being saved from these cities is the exact same path that you and I take in Christ. Because there is a day that God is going to bring judgment on this earth in the same way that he brought it on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but the Bible makes it very clear that there will be a day that God gets rid of this earth and heaven and puts a new one in place. And the only way to escape that moment is to be associated with the one who is associated with with God. And God loves you so much and desires relationship with you so much that he says, because the world has turned from me, I am going to have to get rid of it. And Christ goes before the throne and says, Father, for the sake of those who I know, will you spare them? And God says, yeah, I will. I want you to know this morning that God hears and responds to cries of injustice. Cry out to him. God hears and responds to questions about his justice. If you don't have questions after the last few years or what's going on right now, I, I, don't, I don't know uh, how you did it. God bless you. But you can take those questions to him. He can handle them. And deal with them with people of faith in the community. Don't hide them for the sake of looking pious. And know that ultimately, you and I are declared innocent and saved, not because we're perfect people, not because we ever get to the point that we're perfect people, but because we know the one who knows the Father and intercedes on our behalf. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back uh, up this morning as we prepare to close. And I'd invite you, if you would, to grab, if you, if you were able to, to grab the elements of communion or take them out of the basket when you walked in, I'd like for you to take those. And if you don't have the elements of communion and you would like them, one of our ushers will, will take one of those baskets and be in the back. And if you want to lift up your hand during the prayer, uh, our ushers will make sure that you have the elements of communion. But can I ask you, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, we come before you today. And Lord, I pray for the person here this morning. And even what I, what I felt, even as I, I prayed for, the, for those who were at the altar this morning in worship, God, that there are some of us in the room that we feel like we've been crying out to you about injustice in our lives and in our world for a long time. It hasn't been days. It hasn't been weeks. It's been your years. And we are wondering if you hear and we're wondering if you respond. And 
And Father, we believe today and trust that just like you heard of the cries of injustice in the people living in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding communities, God, that you hear our cries and that you will respond. Lord, thank you that we can bring our questions to you. Lord, help us to be a community of faith in which the questions are okay and invited, honored. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us when we have questions? God, I pray for the person right now watching online or in this room that is not associated with Christ has not begun that relationship, would today be the day it begins? If that's you, all you have to do is talk to God. Tell him that you want to be forgiven, that you are sorry for your sin, that you want to be associated with Christ, who is one with the Father. As we come to communion this morning, it's such an amazing reminder of the price that Christ paid on our behalf so that you and I might be saved. That we might have relationship with God and be a part of his justice and righteous work, not just one day in the future, but today. The work that God is doing right now, responding to injustice and making it right. So I invite you to take that piece of bread We read in the text that when Christ was eating with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, that he took bread from the table and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. Remembering Christ's body pierced on the cross for our sin. After that meal, he took the cup from the table and he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the gift of your mercy and salvation. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and let's worship our God together. Let's thank him for his goodness to us and let's honor him in this last song.